do you think UFOs, the paranormal, weird history, cryptozoology, and outsider art are pretty darn cool? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to High Strangeness with your host, Steve Berg. Like we're in three, two, one. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll do, we'll, we'll, we'll make it work, baby. All right, great. Hey, friends, thanks for tuning in this evening to High Strangeness. Tonight, I have really one of my... my door here. Just a second. Oh, hold on. <laughs> He's closing his door. He's closing his door. So I'm just going to start talking about it. You can see Tonight... I have pants on, so... <laughs> Tonight, we have on Greg Bishop. Greg is a very close friend of mine and also somebody I look up to in uh, all these wonderful subjects that we talk about on the show. Uh, Greg, I'm going to just give... I'm going to do my best to do a bio, Greg, off the top of my head. Born in Southern California, sunny Southern California, Greg grew up in the San Diego area and eventually went on to study art history at the U- University of Southern California, a very prestigious school. I way. can't believe you remember that. Nice. Greg, Greg I remember a lot about you. And then uh, in, in, the, in the 90s, probably in the early to mid 90s, Greg got involved in the zine scene. And I'm not sure if you know everyone knows about zine scene, but before the internet was going around, the zine scene was kind of how people exchanged information. And Greg had probably my favorite zine called Excluded Middle, where they would talk about UFOs, parapolitics, you know, cryptids, uh, even like some true crime stuff, the occult, everything wonderful under the sun. And, you know, then uh, after that kind of disbanded, Greg really, you know, I think um, wrote this groundbreaking book called Project Beta, which was about the, the Paul Benowitz affair. And that really was the first time I had ever heard about that. And I remember reading that book and just kind of being blown away and immediately thinking it should be made into a wonderful movie by Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, and then Greg, you know, went on to do UFO Mystic. And you can find all those, all the writings from UFO Mystic in a wonderful companion book called It Defies Language. And Greg has just, you know, he has the best podcast on earth called Radio Mysterioso. And here we are today. Greg, is there anything I left out? I mean, there's so much I left out, but is there anything? No, you, but wanna... it, you know what? You, you did a perfect, um, I wouldn't put anything else in. That's probably the, one of the best ones I've ever heard. Oh, well, well, then, drop your head. See, I told you because you said yeah. <laughs> you want to do it or you want me to. I said, you should just try. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes sometimes the formal bios can get a little boring. I know mine reads like, you know, it's like bring a book when you hear my bio. It is boring. Um, yeah, I got to shorten mine up too. Greg, it, thank you so much for being on this evening, my friend. Um, I'm just going to explain really quick, and you can you can help me explain it. But the, how I met Greg was I think it was like 2009, 2008-ish. I got hipped to Radio Mysterioso, and that was kind of – it was one of the first podcasts I ever listened to. And I listened to it, and I remember I was really sick at the time, and I obsessively listened to every episode. And his show kind of got me back into UFOs and the occult and esoterica in general because I had sort of fallen off because I got really bored by it. And great show gave me all these new ways to think, think about this stuff and introduced me to a lot of other researchers I had never heard of. And so I kind of, you know... Wrote him an email, like kind of just like begged him, begged to take him out for lunch, and he was so nice. He pulled up on a little scooter, 
at the farmer's market in Los Angeles. And we had like a three hour lunch and Greg was so generous with the time. And we just kind of became buddies. Then we became golfing buddies. Yep. And ever since then, we've just been good, good friends. And it's just what, you know, he's one of those, he's kind of one of those guys you're like, oh man, you know, when you see somebody, I wish I could be friends with them. And luckily it happened for me. So, you know, never be, never be afraid to reach out to people, friends. Uh, Greg, I'm going to jump right in and just Can you start see asking. that red light right there? Right uh, there. Yeah, it, it should be, rec- it's a recording light. Oh, it's like, it looks like it's coming out of my, like, it's coming out of my, um. Do we have some orb action in the background? I don't know what that is. Excuse Whoa, me. I, I can't see. Oh, no, it's recording. Okay, never mind. <laughs> God, I thought we had something. <laughs> yes, yeah, it moves along with the. So it's still there. Yeah. Okay. What you can't see people yeah. is there, there's, you know, 1980s style rods going all over Greg's room right now. So, yeah. <laughs> um, Greg, I, I just want to kind of like, you know, because um, in, in case people haven't heard you talk and stuff like that. So I'm going to ask you maybe some questions that may feel a little bit redundant per our conversations. But that's OK. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, in my opinion, you know, you have really done on your show, Radio Mysterioso and things you've written, you've really done some of the most modern groundbreaking thought experiments on what, you know, UFOs mean or represent. And I'm kind of curious, I don't think I've ever asked you this. What was your evolution in your thinking on UFOs? You know, most people start out as ETHers and Mm -hmm. some people stay there or some people go off and you definitely have stretched the thread really far. So I was just kind of curious, like what's your evolution been? Uh, I think I started out that way, like everybody else, like reading those books when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Of course, I thought there were aliens around and they were visiting. If like, why? If you're a kid and you don't think that, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> I you <know>? agree. <laughs> it's kind of like if you don't get in trouble when you're a teenager, if you don't have to be picked up by the police at least once, I'd really <laughs> wonder about the rest of your life. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm with it. Twice for me as a teenager. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, I only, I only, I only got had once, but you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I lost interest in it after, when I was like 10 or 12. And then right. I picked it up again when I was about like 21, 22, something like that. 23, right. 23 would have been a good age. Right. And yeah. because I was like suicidally depressed and um, I read an article by Robert Anton Wilson and it pulled me back into the weirdness. And it was in right. a zine. It was in a zine called, I think it was called Phenomena Magazine or. Wow. I can't remember what it was called. It was published by Mark Chorvinsky in, in Maryland, but I can't remember the name of the zine. Some people listening probably know. But. Um, right. Uh, you know, I read all the books when I was a kid, but then when I get older, I'm, am I centered? I'm actually listening to the ones, I'm sorry, um, reading the ones that interest me more. And it turns out to be more like, you know, Greg Little and Jacques Vallée and John Keel and, you know, yeah. and, and, and people like that who are not locked into the ETH. And of course, just because... I like to look behind, you know, like if everybody's looking in one direction, I habitually look in the other direction. It's just the way I am. Right. Um, right. It might be a bad thing to do, but it's, it's also more fun, I think. Um, so like, I, I like almost made a conscious decision to turn away from the ETH. I have a, I think I posted it uh, application for MUFON. I joined in like 1988 or nine. And actually, and then I quit two years later because I thought it was BS, but <laughs> yeah. But on the application, I said, interested in non, non, uh, non-extraterrestrial explanations and uh, theories of, of uh, UFO um, you know, research. I mean, right. I said that on my, 
on my application. Yeah, and they probably did not love that, especially at well, that time. Well, signed it. <laughs> really? Yeah, and the funny thing is the date he signed it was April 1st, 1989. <laughs> so I joined MUFON on April Fool's Day. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever do any investigation for him? No, because I tried to get in touch with people in the area and they never got back to me. I was like, okay, I guess they're not interested in me and I'm not interested in them. And the more I see, the less I'm interested. And plus, you know, as as, as I got older, I have I don't like joining things. It's yeah. the reason I haven't joined a podcast network. I'm not in any anything that and I think everybody should do it if they can. If you're interested in anything, if you really want to like make some progress for yourself. Is go do your own, you know, yep. form your, every, every group since I quit MUFON, every group I've been in is one that I've formed or it's like a, sh a small group of people I know. Well, you know, and, and I, I kind of want to add because, I mean, like, um, I feel like what you have done, you, you remind me a lot, a lot of, like, independent artists I admire, like Anton Newcomb from the Brian Jones Massacre or, you know, like different filmmakers because you have kind of created your own ecosystem. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Does that make yeah. sense? Like you have interviewed people who you want to interview, not, you know, not people who are the kind of ufologist du jour at the moment. You know, you find these outsider people who have some wonderful things to say. And all these years later, Greg, and I don't know if you've realized it, but like there is like a group of us who have kind of become friends. And I feel like we're kind of part of the Greg Bishop ecosystem. <laughs> I'm not trying to say like you're some kind of cult figure, but well, like, I, you know, you know it's funny. I didn't try to, I'm just interested in stuff and I like to spread that. And the, it's like it, the reason like, like people say, why did you do the magazine? I said, cause it gave me a ticket to talk to people I wanted to talk to. Yep. And nobody yep. ever said no to an interview. I got to interview Dean Radin and in like when his first book came out. Yeah. Conscious yeah. universe. I went to Vegas and went to his apartment and we went out to, we went out to lunch for four hours and he explained everything to me that I asked. He took this all this time with me, Joe McMonagall, all these people, nobody ever said no. And it was a great education. And then some of them became friends, which is wonderful. I mean, I didn't plan it that way, but that's how it worked. Well, I mean, also, I mean, one, you're a very smart guy. You're very well read. You understand, but also, I mean, here's a compliment. You're a sweetie pie. And I think being a sweetie pie is like a, is, is a great thing, especially in this field where there's a lot of vitriol. You're just a really good guy. You're a cheerleader and you promote people who you think are doing good work. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people don't do that. So, no, you know, I, like, I, I, I want I want people to hear about people who I think should be heard about. And I want and I ignore people that are, you know, either being nasty or whatever. I try to unless it's a direct attack on me, I generally ignore it. Yeah. Um, yep. like, you know, any like bad stuff or I, what I do is I talk about it like, off the record and, you know, privately, I don't, I don't make public statements about anything I don't like, but I'll certainly make a public statement about something I like and that I'm into. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and that's the thing. It's like, whether you, whether you, you realize or not, I see you as such a positive person <laughs> in like in, in a field of study where people are claiming to know the answer you have the whole thing's like, look, I have no idea, but let's do these thought experiments, you know, like the old philosophers and, and you know, <laughs> back in the day and just like have, your, your show has always felt like a salon to me, you know, like when you study that yeah, ancient philosophy yeah. and that's what it feels like. And it, it's really, it's really something else. And I don't feel like anyone can do it like you have done it. And so it's, it's been, why, whether you know it or not, it's been so damn inspirational to me. Like, I, I feel like I would have, like, my interest would have been, like, one foot in, one foot out. But, like, here <laughs> I am uh, doing my show. And, you know, 
being a fan of yours is this is probably why I'm doing this show right now. So thank you. And I know there's a lot of other people out there who feel the same way. Um, I am all over the place. So I'm just going to jump into another qu- kind of question okay, I was going to ask you. We're having a conversation. That's how it works. Yeah, right. And I'm all over the place. And you know, lately I've been, um, I kind of been paging over uh, Carl Jung's book about flying saucers. And a lot of it is kind of, is a little bit hard to understand, but yeah, some of it was kind of resonating with me in terms of an idea that you've been talking about for a while now. And that's the co-creation hypothesis. And to me, that, that is an idea that really excites me. And Young didn't really ever say I, – I, he never said it, there, there was a co-creation hypothesis. Yeah, don't ask he, me to remember that book. I read it like, you know, 20 – Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was definitely hinting around at something that we are, you know, infused with whatever, you yeah. know, this phenomenon is. And, and yeah. do you mind explaining a little bit about what the co-creation is? I know that's – it's a – I, know. I, mean, I think Jung was saying we basically swam in a sea of, of, of archetypes and, and, and culture and things like that, that we cannot get out of. Right. Therefore, all of us, all of those things come through that lens. And also that if we're aware of it, we can make better sense of what these, um, what, what any kind of um, uh, something that seems to not make sense or something that comes out of nowhere or whatever. We, we always realize that there's something there in our psyches in our culture, in our history, that's there, um, like lurking in the background that will help us make sense of these things. And I think, you know, if, if you want to uh, apply that to the co-creation thing, that, that's almost exactly what it is for me. And then right. you add in, um, you know, our own physiology and, and, our, and, and neurology and all that stuff, uh, the way memory works and trauma works on the brain. Um, the, the basic idea of co-creation is whatever it is that we see as, as UFOs or other strange phenomena, mostly UFOs, I mean, you know, ghosts and th- things like that are more connected to who we are. Right. And UFOs are too, but they're just not in such an obvious way. Right. And even, even um, you know, it, it, all these things have different stripes. You know, cryptids are a little bit different, but I think you can apply co-creation there too in a way. Mm-hmm. Um but the the, the uh, main thing is that we cannot experience the thing in itself. Um, I can't remember what I think Heidegger or somebody wrote a whole essay about what is the thing in itself, and the thing in itself is whatever whatever we're looking at, seeing, thinking, even thinking about. We can't get to its true essence. We can only get to it through our metaphors and our language, and the way we understand things. And that's doubly true for the UFO because we don't know where it's coming from. Right. It just pops up once in a while. Even abductees and people like that, they're, it just pops into their lives. Yes, there are some people that say they can summon it and all that. And that may be true as well. I mean, if you look at ritual magicians and and and, uh, and um, uh, non-Western cultures where shamans do things like this. Um, but th- they and we <clears throat> are all accessing something that we have no idea what it really is. I, I, I was, I, I did this interview with Whitley Strieber the other day and he was, we talked about it and he brought up, one of us brought up um, Plato's cave. Oh, oh yes. You know, and you know, that, that's a good metaphor for some of what's going on with um, um, the co-creation thing is that we're, you know, we're chained to a, we're chained to a wall in a cave. And the only way we can tell about, the only thing we can tell about what's going out outside that cave 
the thing in itself outside that cave, are shadows that are running around on the wall. And we make inferences about, we don't even make inferences. A lot of people just make concrete statements about what those shadows are, not really realizing that they're actually shadows. And the shadow is all that stuff that has to come through before our brain starts working with it. All that stuff I just talked about. And when you're talking about um, a weird experience, you've got, you know, something that you've never encountered before, um, something that you have to deal with in some way. I mean, it's suddenly your brain's going, I mean, you, you, the, the, the fight or flight kicks in. And also you're trying to make sense of something in that split second. So your brain just goes to the first thing you can get to. So it doesn't, so you don't go nuts. And so you can right. with it. And then after that, you're remembering it. And then a whole nother layer of, of cultural cueing and, and DNA and your upbringing and, you know, whatever your biases are, those all come in too. And yeah. I, you know, it's, it's interesting you mentioned because I, I'm a big like proponent of like the cultural lens you're looking, you know, that, that you are surrounded with or that you grew up with or your belief system plays a pretty big role in how you're going to perceive the, a UFO or a cryptid or a ghost or whatever. Yeah. That's, I like that Emil Chin thing with the guy in Jan Wolski in Poland, 1978. He had no access to TV movies, newspaper. I think he had newspapers. I'm not sure. He might have been illiterate, but he had no idea. He had no science fiction. And he was wow. he was walking along a path um, in this rural area of Poland. Uh, no, walk, he was on a horse cart. I mean, he was, he was on a horse-drawn cart in the 70s. That's how away from civilization he was. Wow. <laughs> and these two guys like just jumped on his, on his hay cart and he just thought, well, you know, you're supposed to give people rides here, so that's what I'll do. And they don't say anything. He looks back and they're these two like short guys with green skin <gasps> with like black, like, like form fitting things with a hood on. So you could just see their face and their feet look like flippers, like, like not flippers, but like um, scuba flippers. That's incredible. And they stopped in a clearing somehow. And he said they made these weird chattering noises. They got to the clearing and floating in the clearing is this thing that looks like a giant toaster or refrigerator. It's just bare metal. It's just floating in the air. It's a square thing, and it's just floating in the clearing, as he reported it. And it's got four things on each end that look like screws that are turning. What? What? And See, that, that is the best kind of case. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then he gets, he, um, they ask him to follow, like, by gestures. They ask, I don't think there was any mental, like, communication. They just said, well, get down and follow us. He goes over to this thing and a platform on, on cables comes down. He doesn't get beamed up or anything. It's this platform with cables they stand on and it goes up like 50 feet or so. And he walks in this open door or op this opening. He goes inside and he looks back and he's, he said the door looked like a rolled up carpet. What? I mean, it was just like it was rolled up to the side as if it would unroll and and in front of the door were a bunch of crows or blackbirds flocking around on the floor like they had. This sounds like a dream. Yeah, it really does. He said it looked like they were in some sort of distress or injured or something, but they're just they're just hopping around and flapping around and and struggling on the floor of this thing. They have him take off all his clothes and they're really interested in his belt for some reason. They run the thing over his body. They offer him something to eat. He goes, no, no thanks. I'm good. <laughs> 
I'm cool, dudes. And yeah, I just ate a ham sandwich. I'm fine. Yeah, he, he's and then he, he put his clothes back. I mean, we didn't lie on a clo- floor or anything. They just like ran this disc over his body and then said, "Okay, you put your clothes back on." He realized he could. Then he, then they kind of like, "Okay, you can go now." So he gets on the little platform. It lowers back to the ground and he leaves. Wow! And this is in the seventies, you said? Yeah, like seventy six, seventy seven, I think. I have never heard that case. That is absolutely, that has all the hallmarks of what makes a wonderfully high strange like UFO encounter and that I love, you know, like that is yeah, amazing. So I don't, you know, it's generally similar. I mean, there is a, there is a thing that looks like a vehicle. There's, you know, there's these little beings, but they're green. They're little green men for Christ's sake. Yeah. <laughs> well, more do you want? Yeah. <laughs> And I don't know, maybe he did have some exposure to science fiction, but like a big refrigerator looking thing with screws turning on it each side of it. I don't know. That definitely doesn't fit a, the common uh, Galactic Federation uh, narrative. Of that, no, you know, I mean, I guess you can argue that it's similar, but it's the thing is, yeah. to me, is it's just so out of left field compared to what we're used to that it, it's interesting to me that that's how he recalled it. Now, I don't yep. know what was going on. or He never said he felt frightened. He just thought it was just some weird guys that he met. That's all. It's so, wow. so strange. He didn't, like, he didn't, like, apparently he didn't freak out. He didn't, he was, it was just kind of confusing and 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 and, uh, and novel to him. And that's about it. I mean, that's all I know from reading what I have and what you could find online. But Yeah, no, and, and that's interesting. Like, if, if that same thing happened, like, let's say in Iowa, at the same era to a farmer, I, I mean, like, because you know there was maybe more exposure to the UF, what was happening ufologically at the time, he probably would have been terrified. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, I, mean, yeah. I know I would be. I, I like to claim that I would be. Oh man, it'd be so cool! I'm gonna be totally like Fonzie about this thing. But I'm yeah. sure I'd freak out. Yeah, yeah. But like, oh my like god, little Fonzies. Yeah, little, little Fonzies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, um, that, that fascinates me because it's like it's just so when you don't have the cultural cueing and all that, what does what do you come up with? And I'm I'm almost certain it has nothing to do with what actually was going on, or maybe it was closer to what was going on because he had no preconceptions about it. I right. have no idea. But the point is, and I, I think I said this to Whitley too. It's like anybody, and I noticed this at. at at conferences really early on, and I've said this before, I hear people talking about their experiences and they could be 180 degrees apart, just so different, but they yep. both know they're talking about the same thing. Yeah. Even though it's completely different experience, it was frightening or not, there was a ship or not, there was whatever. Right. Well, you know, you know, encounter was they both know they had basically the same kind of experience. Because there's no no place else to put it, right, right, yeah. So you find the narrative, just a narrative that it can fit into, you know, yeah. like you know, yeah. Because there's nothing, even though that that guy is experienced in Poland, would sound like, uh, you know, most people would probably say it's a, you know, oh, that's an extraterrestrial experience he had. Well, there's nothing concrete that says that is what it is. You know, that's just like the common narrative. And it, it is interesting because I do I do feel like the tide is turning a little bit and people are yeah, now, it even, has. you know, it almost scares me because I kind of wanted this. Yeah, well, th- it is. Well, you know, I, and I 
whether you know it or not, you've probably had a lot more influence than you know because you've influenced a lot I of people. Oh, so, but thank you. <laughs> I, I, I think you do because one thing it's like a lot of us have read the same books as you. Yeah, I yeah. feel like you are able or have been able to, you know, talk about it in a di different way and kind of like read between the lines of John Keel and Valet and Greg Little and make it so a guy like me can understand because some you know back in the day i tried reading keel on a valet when i was younger and it didn't fit the narrative that i wanted at the time because i was like you know in my like early 20s or teenager and i, I was like into x files and I'm, i was i want i wanted it to be more bob lazar more yeah. you know conspiratorial or the government definitely has like you know eighties and 90s when it happened 100 percent into it yeah, and it was exciting, and I'm like, and it felt like the, the one of the reasons I feel like people like it so much because they feel that they're so close to the answer that what's keeping them from an answer is a gate on a military base. Like if yeah. they could only get through that gate, they would have the answers to the world. But I sort of think nowadays we're like, I'm sure like there is you know the government or whoever like you know private in the private sector they have a ton of data. I feel like that's you know. I feel pretty confident about that, but I don't really think they may have any better idea of what this stuff is than we I do. I think it's you know? like ufology. I mean, it's like there's a few people that have weird ideas about it. Then there's the rank and file that just think it's ETH and that's what it is. And, you know, and then there's like that Whitley Strieber idea that, um, you know, uh, it, 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 what was it? They uh, don't want people to, to, if enough people believe in it, it like it, it, manifests as the thing that everybody thinks it is so it's yeah. all self-fulfilling right so. which 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 you know kind of going on whitley i mean if you think of you know and i don't know this to be certain but it oh, feels like he said that somebody had said in the military had said if we acknowledge it then it has access to us right why they didn't want to acknowledge that was the fear Ooh, that's interesting <laughs> it's almost like a magical concept like you know that that magical circle of salt is just a, a circle of 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 um, debunking and disbelief just to keep it from getting in. That is really interesting. Like if if yeah, because hmm. So that they think you know the fear is that if enough people were to believe this is actual factually true, it will appear that way whether we like it or not. Yeah, and that's it's like little door into our realities. That is that acceptance of belief in whatever that that image is. Well, it's kind of interesting that kind of came from Whitley because if you it, it, like, I kind of perceive this to be maybe, you know, I, I remember this strong emotional feeling I had, and I, I can't remember what year it was, eighty six when Communion came out. I know I was a little kid. My mom took me to the bookstore, and I was the weird kid who, who at like at nine, was going to the occult book section <laughs> and, yeah, at Walden Books, and I remember seeing the cover for Communion and having this like crazy reaction one of utter fear like I, I don't know why like I loved horror movies I was watching like Friday 13th at eight years old and I wasn't that scared of that but that book cover like shook me <laughs> and I remember buying it and reading it and it terrified me but what, what my point was it is, is that terrifying kind of, it's a horror it, it's a terror it really is a horror novel and what you were just kind of saying kind of goes back to um well what, what you know that cover of that book that was really the first time I had seen the image of, you know, the gray alien. And lo and behold, it seems like after that book came out, the lion's share of close encounter experiences were with gray aliens. Yeah. 
And so Whitley's book changed the narrative. Yeah. And I wonder if that book, because it was, a, you know, as I, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I think maybe Bud Hopkins had a book that was pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Well. And Triggers it, came out um, before that, just right. before it. But I don't think it had the cultural impact that no. communion did. No, no. You know, communion was like in the, in the, you know, they would display it at the front of, you know, bookstores. Like, yeah, because they were big book. And it did. It did. Yeah. And it's really, it's, that is interesting because that, that was kind of a turning point in, because, I, I, you know, before Whitley, and like, you know, if you read a John Keel book where he's talking about 1970s cases, it was rarely ever the same kind of uh, manifestation. Like, boom, Greg has shown me one of his tarot cards, which we are going to get to, folks. Um, but they were, he was describing a, plethora of different kind of entities, right? You know, like in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, it was rarely this, I mean, like, you would see kind of the, you know, Nordic-looking, you know, whatever, aliens, whatever you want to call it, but it seemed like there were so many weird things, like, just this variance, it was like, it was almost like the phenomenon it was trying, it was like trying different things out and finding one that will stick, and the gray alien stuck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'm not sure, it, it you know, I, I'm always trying to look for fresh you know, it was modern. the most powerful archetype at the time, which tends to make you think about that that um, thing about oh, Eric Wargo's time loops thing. And it is that was Whitley, you know, predicting that that was going to be the, you know, or determining or whatever from the future that that was going to be what we thought aliens were. That Eric Wargo's work is so mind bending. <laughs> I read time loops that that I like reread pages so many times. I was like, but it is. Yeah, me too. A powerful book. Very, very, very interesting. Yeah. I had him on when it came out because I thought it was just so groundbreaking. And then we we became, yeah, yeah if not acqu- friends, at least acquaintances. And so I can I can ask him questions and have him explain it in plain English to me for, for dumb. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, I highly recommend uh, Time Loops, people. Very, very good book. It should have it in your bookshelf. Yeah. If you're into this stuff. Um, one thing I kind of, you know, like, um, I guess just to talk about what's happening in, you know, right now is obviously, you know, AI, everyone's talking about AI, even like my 80 year old mother is talking about AI, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 I came it's, up with that, 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 that Whitley interview, I said, I don't think anybody cares about UFOs anymore. That's off the table. Now it's all AI, AI. Yeah. And I wonder, and I wonder kind of like, is AI, you know, if you were to think about, you know, artificial intelligence and, you know, the study of UFOs, I'm almost feeling like there is about ready to be some sort of like, you know, and this is just a weird intuition that some sort of like, you know, how like Whitley's gray alien thing, that was kind of a, a turning point, like a new chapter. And it feels like since then it's been kind of humdrum. I mean, you know, you saw triangle crafts, now it's more orbs of light. You never see a flying saucer, mm-hmm. but I feel like there is a new like chapter about ready to start. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I kind of just wonder, do you have any kind of like thoughts on how, I mean, obviously you don't know, no one knows, but like, do you have any thoughts on how it might manifest? You know, like. I don't know because what it does is uses what everybody has already talked about to come up with whatever it is. Right. Which I think that that's what's going on with UFOs anyway. Right. You know, and I think, and the first, when you said that, the first thing I thought was, we better learn how to be non-binary in the way we think, or we're going to be, we're going to believe anything that comes down the pike, AI or whatever. Yep. Yep. 
you know, I mean, I, so agnostic as to, I mean, to the point of, of, of being pedantic about it. It's like, God damn, don't you believe in anything? What a fence sitter you are. It's like, well, for UFOs, that's about the only sane thing you can do. Well, you know, that was actually a question I wrote down because I love, I love that you're, because I mean, what, I think, and that was, a, I'm going to pause that, what we were just talking about, just because I wanted, I do want to say one thing that I loved when I first started listening to reading Mysterioso and reading Greg's work is that it was so refreshing because nearly every UFO author I'd read was telling you what it was. You know, except for Valet and Keel and some other people. But I had read a lot of your books. Keel kind of told you what it was, too. But that was no, his, yeah. it was his perception of it. Because I, I heard somebody complaining about him the other day. It's like, oh, he had this stupid thing about um, uh, uh, demons and all this. And it's like, where did he come up with that? And I said, he came up with it by talking to thousands of people. Yeah. Like, whether he's yes. wrong or not, he actually went out in the field and did it. He sure he sure did, and he based his he, yeah he based his ideas off his own research yeah that he did tirelessly for yeah, and, decades. And, you know his personality, his ideas about the world, and his background and all that came out in his theory, and it's a compelling one, and it's it's amazing, and it has so many implications that you just to me you just can't ignore it. Yeah, I I, I could not agree more. Like, Whether you agree age- with them or not. Yeah, exactly. And like, there's plenty of things about Keel that, like, when I'm reading, I'm like, nah, I don't know. Or I feel like, you know, maybe he, and you can see him change his mind if you go to his earliest stuff. Yeah, he, he was not afraid of changing his mind. He was a real trickster, too. He'd mess with people. So he was. And that's he was. fine. I mean, I, I respect that. I, I like it. Me, too. Me, too. I mean, that's why I love, you know, like, uh, <laughs> like Jim Mosley, yeah. I think is very important in the history of ufology. You know, yeah. he was the, I mean, him and Gray Barker were the, you know, the two yeah. tricksters of UFOs. And there's no um, there's no tricksters holding our end of things down anymore. Right. Right. They were, you know, and both of them were like well-meaning tricksters, mostly more 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 so, but yeah. Keel and Mosley and I can't even think of any other like trickster figures in ufology. Yeah, I mean, you know, those three, Gray, you know, Gray Barker and uh no, but there really hasn't been, I don't no. think. I mean, George Hansen a little bit, but that's mostly in relationship to his book and not so much in ufology. I think right. I think he became uh, more of a trickster or was one. That's why he wrote that book, which everybody should read. Right. Um, oh, yeah. He's almost the closest thing we have, but he's not really public like like uh, Barker and Mosley and uh, yeah. and um, uh, Keel were. Yeah, he's not like in the he's not interested in, in the figures and the pop culture like Mosley and those guys were, you know, like yeah. so there is really nobody like that right now. I mean, there are occasionally people that do that, but you kind of have to have some balls and some showmanship in you to do it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mosley was part carnival barker, you know. So <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, Keel certainly was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in our cards, we should have made him a carnival barker, but he most people <laughs> the hermit, so. <laughs> that works too, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, carnival barkers are hermits as well in a lot of ways. You know, I, I, when just kind of going back to the artificial intelligence stuff and, you know, the idea of like a new chapter perhaps yeah. being on the horizon, um, I almost wonder if there's going to be a time where UFOs stop flying in the sky. You know, like, I wonder if that's the next thing, because it, it has been this thing where, you know, it, and you can go back, there's plenty of books that cover kind of, you know, pre-flying uh, airship dirigible. I mean, like, UFO has been reported for a thousand years or more, you know, like, yeah. and it is always, you know, like, there was the flying saucer era, which is my personal favorite, and then there was, you know, the flying triangle, and now it's, like, really, like, orbs of light, and, you know, some people report the Tic Tac, but... 
you know, that's more of a military thing, I think. But like, I wonder if the next evolution of the UFO, because the UFO, okay, there's unidentified flying object, which is like the, you know, what it means. But then there's UFO is more of like an idea, you know, and I feel like the idea of UFOs and the other or whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. is getting ready to perhaps potentially change. And we may be watching a change happen with AI and stuff. But I wonder if there's going to be a time where they're not flying at all. They're like in our, you know, in our computers, in our artificial intelligence. They're melding it with us that way, you know, like. Maybe, but I think as you're saying that, the first thing I think is its archetype is sky, is from the sky. And I don't know if it can get too far away from that. Right. That's interesting. It can split into things, but I think at at its base, at its very, very, um, it's, its very essence is something that comes from and goes back to the sky. Right, right. You know, so I don't know if it would ever break away from that. And in fact, if it did, I would be suspicious of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, that, you're not being who you're supposed to be. I mean, it's like, yeah. if the if the the magician starts becoming a trickster, you're just kind of like, what are you doing, magician? <laughs> yeah, you are really confusing me. <laughs> yeah. You're not, you know, it better be some magical thing you're doing because otherwise you're not, you're, you're, you're out of your lane. <laughs> I think UFOs will stay in their own, stay in their lane for the most part, but they'll, you know, they'll be something else. It'll be presented as something else, um, or at least the way it interacts with people. Or right. I think that, you know, if, if the AI is going to do anything, it will try and impose a, a persona or a source on it. Yeah. Because people like certainty and mm-hmm. the UFO thing, you know, certainty is the enemy to me, just like belief is the enemy that kills. Yeah. If yep. you're certain about something, you're already lost to me with the UFO yeah. thing. You are, and you're also a very boring person. <laughs> like, I mean, like, you know, like, I mean, there, you know, there's, you know, not that, like, I'm not trying to put down atheism or atheists in general, but like, they can be pretty boring at a party. Yeah, Yeah, because I I would rather go to a party of UFO believers than debunkers because the UFO believers are a lot more fun. Yeah, exactly. And and that's part part of, you know, like I was doing someone else's podcast and they're asking me why I still to this day. Because I was telling them, oh, I've been I've loved this stuff for over 30 years. I've been reading about it, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, why? What's like what compels you? I was like, because it's fun. (laughs) Because it's really entertaining. And I feel like they're part of the this all this wonderful you know kind of uh high strangeness mm-hmm. i think is a form of like art and entertainment you know and you you've you've i think kind of opened up that thinking by talking about ufos as a cosmic art project which i love you know when you said that i was like oh my god that's brilliant <laughs> i wish i would have thought of that <laughs> you know like it's so good and like you know you come from I, you know, I think you have like this, you know, really rich knowledge of art and art history, and you're just, you know, such an appreciator of art of all kind, outsider art, you know, classical, Dadaist, you know, whatever. Yeah. But do you think that influences the lens, your your cultural lens and how you look at this stuff? Oh, it totally does. I mean, it's part of my background and my interest. So, of course, I'm going to look at through that lens. Yeah. And I realize that's what I'm doing, but it's fruitful to me. It's fun. Um, I don't see anybody else really talking about it, so it interests me. I mean, mm-hmm. I know there are, at least to some extent. Um, I collect UFO songs. I've been doing that for like 20 years, and I've got probably 
three or four hours total of just UFOs themed and flying saucer themed songs. It's incredible. And I just like that because I like seeing all those different lenses it comes through. Yeah, sure, half of them have chipmunk voices in it, but. (laughs) (laughs) But it's cute. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's just, um, it, it just another thing I said recently, and you know I have been saying is that I think it's if we don't know what the thing in itself is, as far as UFOs are, then why don't we start looking at ways to communicate non without language through a visual um, language and see what happens? I don't know if it's an answer to anything, but it interests me. I yeah, mean, hence the cards, you know. Yeah, exactly. Which. We are going to talk about the UFO terror people. I'm, we're I'm not trying to push this. It's just, you know, it, it has a lot of... It's on my printed out piece of paper of questions. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a supporter and a backer, and I couldn't be more excited about it. Yeah, well, you'll get one. Here, Yay! Go. I'm coming back. He's coming, folks. He's coming. I, just, I want Don't to think he's the looking. Book. I have the book, which has the images bigger. So go ahead. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Now, um, one question I kind of want to ask, and I, I'm actually, like, this is a almost a poll I'm trying to take with everyone I talk to, but do you think if, if there's no human human being to witness a UFO, that a UFO is actually there? <laughs> the tree falls in the, fo- if a UFO exactly. crashes in the forest, is it really? And you could almost, you know, the question I would even like maybe multi-prong it to, I would think in, in, this would include Bigfoot or, you know, ghosts or, any kind of high strangers. Do you think it actually needs us to manifest? Obviously, well, it's impossible what? to answer. But yeah, in that case, anything needs us to manifest. <laughs> right, you're totally right. You're totally right. Yeah, you know, well, a tr- a tree in the forest needs us to manifest because otherwise, it's it just if you don't see it, it's doesn't it's 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 not part of the. It's it's a non-participant. What's it called in a video game? A non-participant. An NPC, a non-player character. Yeah, non-participating character. Yeah, yeah. If 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 it's it's not relevant to us if we don't you know, experience it, um, like our friend could experience it, then it becomes relevant to us. Right. Right. I, yeah. I mean, I don't even you know, know if that's a que- like a question that's that's it means anything to me because all I care about is, is, is reality or whatever it is, the things outside our head, whatever that might, whatever that quantum foam might be and the things inside our head and that interaction to me, that, that creates reality. Um, physically, I think, but I can't explain it cause I'm not a scientist, but certainly in a philosophical sense. And mm-hmm. that's been, you know, that's, that's, that goes back to the ancient Greeks. So, right. Um, yeah, it might, but, whether it does or not doesn't interest me because the reality is that people interact with something unknown on a regular basis. So yeah. something's there. Mm-hmm. The only meaning we have for it and the only, you know, uh, foot we have in that realm is how it affects us. Right. How it affects a witness, how it affects our culture, how it affects, you know, everything. Right. Wherever it and, comes from or whatever it is, I do not know. And and, and, and that's, that's a really good point too, because I feel like what you just said is, I think I think like you know it, it, like you know I, I've been kind of this like you know armchair UFO guy my whole life and you know the last couple of years I've been trying to get more involved by talking to witnesses who experience you know whether it's Bigfoot ghosts you know poltergeists UFOs yeah. just because for my own research and plus it's just it's just such great fun um, but but one thing like um, 
I was reading reading recently, um, in the last year, and it might have been from Joshua Cutchin and Timothy Renner's Bigfoot books, where the footprints end, volumes one and two, which are phenomenal, I must say. Yeah. Um, but I believe it was in this where there was a, a a case where a man and a woman, a husband and wife, were hiking, and they see, you know, the man sees what looks like a nine foot tall classic Bigfoot. The woman sees on all fours, a, like a, a grizzly bear. And she was, she was so certain that she's like, it was a bear. I was very scared. I was like, it was a bear. Yeah, and to him, he was, he's, her brain said was there. Yeah, and her brain said it was a grizzly bear clear as day. And he said it was a nine foot tall, classic Bigfoot that didn't belong on earth. You know, he was like, this thing just did not belong where it was. Or maybe it was and, a big bear and he mistook it. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. You know, and may, maybe it was one or the other, but yeah. the, the idea, and I think Adam go rightly has a story about when he saw uh, a UFO while on LSD as a teenager, but him and his friends saw had a UFO experience and they saw two completely different, different things. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of interested in, and I have, I can't pinpoint it right now, but in all the UFO books I've read and research I've done, I have come across it a handful of times where two people will have this very dramatic kind of life-changing encounter, but what they experience is different. Yeah. And so even though these people come from the same culture, are either married or friends, yeah, it seems like they had the same cultural lens, but they're witnessing different things. Yeah. That, that is really interesting to me. And maybe, you know, in, in addition to that, they're remembering different things. Yeah. Yep. Because what do they have left is just their memory of what happened. Yeah. They might have processed yep. it completely differently. Totally. You know, totally. and it doesn't mean that I don't know what that reality of that, 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 that experience was. I have no idea. Yeah. You no, know, I, I can't like speculate. Well, it was actually aliens and they made this person think this way and this person think that way. And that way they can keep them from, you know, telling a coherent story and then they keep their identities. It's like, wow, you know how many, you know, how many you just mentioned about a hundred things that have nothing to do with what happened and everything to do with, with what you think happened. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 really fascinating to think about. And like, I do I do think that like some of the work that you can do as a person who doesn't have like you know funding of millions of dollars and you're not a scientist, it, like you said, is by talking to people and gathering different experiences, finding patterns, finding where they clash. You know, like learning about where they're from, their history, their belief system. Like that is like really strong, valuable work that we yeah, can and, do. Yeah, and what you do is an answer and not the answer. Right. Or part of part of an understanding, but not part of an answer. I don't know. I, I stopped saying an answer a long time ago and I just I've I've like narrowed it down to, you know, I want understanding. I don't want an answer. Because if I want an answer, there that assumes there's an answer sitting out there. Yeah, it's like their idea of what they found. down, you know. Yeah, it's like their idea of what they experienced, maybe. You know, like um one thing I went in and here I am jumping all over the place. Um Sorry, I think maybe I have ADD. I don't know. <laughs> As I definitely do. <laughs> I think I do because I'm all over the place. Oh, I know but I do. <laughs> one thing I wanted to mention to you is that I think when we first met and started talking, we both found out that we both really revere uh, William S. Burroughs. Yeah. And even more so, I remember you and I talking about, like, we both read some of his books, but his interviews and, like, who he was is almost more interesting than his novels, you know, like, in a way. Yeah, I and, talked to Mac Tony's about that, too. Yeah, and I mean... I I, more for his voice and his interviews and his lectures more than, you know, I've read a few of his books, but I've heard, like, hours and hours of his talks. 
Same here. Same here. I'll put it on the background, just like a Terrence McKenna thing. And one thing I love, or I love the idea, um, is, you know, the kind of Brian Geisen uh, cut-up method that William S. Burroughs got really excited about kind of in the late or early 70s, I was it, or late 60s. I can't remember when it was. I think so. And the cut-up the cut method, I, I, I've done quite a bit of research, and I, there is something, and I don't know if I want to, you know, I, maybe I'll say. Information, really. I was just going to say, to me, it feels like a form of magic, a ritual. You are doing this ritual. And if anyone doesn't know, the, the, and you can maybe help me explain this, the cut-up method is where they would take four, maybe like for example, four different newspapers from different, you know, different locations or whatever, yeah. as an example, and they would cut the, these articles in four sections. Then they would paste them together, and all of a sudden, these words that these you know words and letters that shouldn't belong together somehow magically belonged and told a new story. Yeah, or you or know, even came up with something and ideas that weren't there in the first place. They would do like words, sentences, phrases. You know, they would do it that way. Um, yeah. But yeah, and um, I'm trying to find it, but his, um, uh, I thought the the really cool um, uh, description he had of it, and I think, I don't know if it was him or Geisen said this, but he said, um, you know, uh, his quote about the cut-ups, when you cut into the future, the pre- when you cut into the present, the future leaks out. Yes. I think that, that was Burroughs. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great quote. Yeah. <laughs> the future leaks out. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. I, I, one thing I want to mention. That's how to I came up with the title for the it defies language. I used a cut up. Oh, really? Yeah. I couldn't think of the title. And Miguel was saying, I need a title here so I could put something on here to do the cover. It was his first book cover. And I said, okay, I, I got out of desperation. I took my introduction to the book and I put it in an online cut up generator. Wow, there is an. I didn't know there was a cut up generator. Oh, there's probably there's probably eight or ten or twelve or twenty of them. Oh you man, plug in, I plugged in my entire like you know twelve hundred word or whatever introduction. So it's like if I'm going to come up with a title, maybe I should just come up with how I was introducing it from the cut up of the words that I used. This is amazing. So what I want to kind of I want to pitch this idea to you, right? Because I've been I uh, I saw Chris Ernst this summer, and Chris Ernst is a filmmaker and a researcher, you know, like very into all this stuff and very knowledgeable and mm-hmm. just a great, great, great guy, great, great guy. Um, and I was pitching to him this idea because we're both like have a film background and I was telling him like, I had this idea where I want to take four unproduced screenplays and tried to make a cut up script. And like, <laughs> you know, like my dream would be to get it financed and shoot it. I know just like a small indie, you know, micro budget indie film. But yeah. do you think that would work like as a, like a, a cut up movie? It could. I don't know if it would it would support a feature length. It could. Yeah. The other thing you could do is, you know, do the cut up, but then just start bridging the gaps and use it as a use it as a, a inspiration rather than a than a like a total guide. Right. That's what I did. I mean, I came up with all these phrases from the cut up. Like I put down like 20 of them. And the thing is, I didn't I didn't actually I started reading the cut up. It was just it was just, you know all the words rearranged randomly and none of them. It was like looking at one of those word puzzles where you try to find words in the, yeah, but I was trying to find phrases and I couldn't find anything I liked. So I just basically kind of shut off my, um, my, my, my 
my logical brain is like almost, I'm not in a trance or whatever, but I stopped thinking about what made sense. I stopped making sense. And um, I just started reading the cut up and any phrase that came into my mind, I would just type it out without thinking. I would just like, interesting. Oh, that makes me think of this. And that, you know, some were literal and some were just an idea I got from reading the cut up. So basically, oh, yeah. I took, a lot of word, took all my words, scrambled them all up, and then came up with new words based on my scram new phrases based on my scrambled up words. And I just sat there for about 20 minutes, like in this weird trance state, reading the meaningless phrases. And then if I thought of something, I'd type it out. And one of the phrases was, it defies language. Which is perfect for you. It's a, it, was a, it was a perfect title because I feel like that is part of your philosophy. That you've you've always kind of talked about how like language is so limiting yeah. to how we communicate about this stuff and how we phrase it and how we even understand it. Yeah. So that, I mean that, that that's actually a very power. It's, I did I did not know you used the uh, cut up as inspiration for that. That actually fascinates me even more. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't even think I didn't like look at anything saying you should do this. I just looked at yeah. it. And said, that doesn't make any sense. Why don't I just type whatever I think? And I just started Amazing. reading it, like I said, and just typed out whatever came to mind. I came up with a list of like 10 things and I put them up online, actually on Facebook or something. I said, what do you people think? And I think I only put up three of them and most people voted for it defies language. So I said, well, that actually is perfect because it's a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you know anything about Greg Bishop, that is kind of like part of your thinking that is infused in the way you talk about this stuff is that. We can get so far with language, but at a certain point, we can't. It's hard to go further. Yeah. So, yeah, by scrambling all my words up, I came up with something that that summarized what all my words were trying to say. That's incredible. You know, you know, it almost kind of like I have recently started messing around with, uh, you know, AI art generators. And yeah. basically, you're just putting in keywords into like a thing. And it's, you know, you get a bunch of images. You find the yeah. one that resonates with you, blah, blah, blah. But the cut up, in a way, kind of almost seems like analog non-technological AI <laughs> in a yeah. weird way, you know, like, because you're going to feed it, feed it some stuff, feed it like maybe four articles, like the example I was giving. Yeah. And then it's going to produce something. Yeah. You know, like, I think the more random you are, the better your results might be. Right. If you try to right. think about it too much, it gets in the way of whatever is going to control that, you know, whatever the end product is, even yeah. if it is AI and it's pulling from, you know, the internet and every, anything, every, anybody's ever thought, you know, put down or whatever. Uh, I haven't messed with AI art generators in like in six months. <laughs> cold turkey. <laughs> yeah, the last thing I did, it's like I was putting in things like Japan. What did I put in? Japanese woodcut and baseball, and there was sort of like a woman in a kimono throwing a pitch. <laughs> but it was all blurred and weird, and it, it looked like it could have been. It's not the way it is now, where it's like. It takes and it literal and makes something literal out of whatever whatever your words are. These are like almost impressionistic paintings. They were all wow. smeared and you know the color palette was like a woodblock print, but yeah, there was a lot of green in it because I said baseball, so it was thinking of the grass or whatever. It was just you know these weird little things I did, and you know I, I kept some of them. So That's I don't amazing. know what they would come up with now because I'm such an old person. I haven't done it. I wanted to start you know doing this with um like Finn Handley is doing with the, yes. um, except what he does is he takes witness testimony really, really detailed and talks to the witness. And then he re reproduces whatever they saw their UFO sighting as a CGI. 
Um, yeah, you you hit me to uh, his work and every single video I've seen. Really, it, the first one I I can't remember which one it was. The first I think it was like the friends in the pool, the backyard. Yeah, maybe I, that was the first one I think I saw, and I remember watching that late at night, and I felt like I was having a psychedelic experience. Yeah, and I feel like that was the intention. He's trying to you know, oh, give totally you. Oh, totally is. You know, I I he's um. This uh, I, I saw in one of Diana's classes. It was a, this guy, this artist named Mark Burchick, and he 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 took. Um, and I've showed this in a lecture. I'm going to give it again next week, I think, at, at Otis Art College to like an art class. Ooh, wonderful! They'll love it. But what he, um, I'm trying to think of what I was going to say. Oh, what Mark did was he took the original Latin translations of the witnesses to um, St. Teresa of Avila. Well, okay. The, the one that was visited by that little being that pierced her, her, her innards with a flaming sword. He's or right. She said, um, but he took that original Latin and then just put it in an AI animation generator. And what he came out with is, I don't know if you can call it creepy. It's just extremely strange. It gives you a really weird feeling. And so I thought, what if somebody did this with UFO witness testimony and in some way could, could you know, create an animation that would like uh, combine that with the CGI of the actual thing or maybe some combine it into something um, that it sits between the two, like something literal and something that's that 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 gives you and he's what he called it was um what did he say um reproducing the uncanny the feeling of the uncanny. wow and That's if you great. watch that you do get such i mean you, when you said that it totally reminded me when you said you saw one of um finn hanley's thing yeah if you could find something that would reproduce the feel that uncanny feeling as well as the unreality of actually seeing something like that and what you know and the sounds and the and the sights and all that of what was going on during the thing. I mean, it's only a couple of our senses. Yeah. You know, our, our, our sight and our hearing. Um, but when you're in, you know, when you see something, you've got other things. You've got smells. You have temperature. Yeah. You have all these other things that, you know, what happened to you that afternoon, whatever, who you're with. Um, the uh, If you could somehow reproduce that uncanny feeling as well as the just the unreality of seeing something that shouldn't be there. To me, that would be a step towards recreating a UFO experience for people that haven't had one. And I think if you wow. do that with enough people, then the, this thing where people's like, well, I don't know. Like, well, this is based on what somebody saw, what lots of people saw. Here's 10 of them. What do you think now after watching them? And I bet if you put most people through that kind of experience, they'd come out with it, come out of it with probably 10 or 20% of what happened to that person that actually saw the UFO. And they could begin to understand what that experience is like without actually having to go through it. And I think UFO sighting on demand is probably, you know, that would be the next step in UFO research, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is so interesting. And, 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 and that may be, you know, who knows what I, I know nothing, but like, I wonder if like AI is going to be, is a tool that can help us get us, get us there, you know? like Yeah. I mean, I, I, I choose to not be afraid of things, even though I should be. And so, you know, this aspect of it excites me. Yeah, me too. The, the, the uh, people, you know, websites and, and clickbait and all that is all based on fear 
in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And it's like, you know what? I'm just going to try to shut off that fear part and see what else can be. Yes, there's stuff would be should we we should be concerned of and of afraid about, afraid of, but concerned about and afraid of. But you know, if you let that rule your 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 uh, daily life and your um, consumption of this material, then that's all you're ever going to see. And you're not going to get anywhere. And somebody that that can control your fear. They control your, they can control your, your perception too. Yep. Yep. And fear, there's no like worse blocker of gaining new knowledge than fear. Yeah. People getting elected just scare you. Yeah, exactly. They scare you into complacency and just like, oh, I'll put my head down, do my job, pay my taxes. And yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. There was an onion headline about uh, Listerine. It said, fear not this menace we have just created. Yeah. <laughs> Bad breath. And that's kind of how I feel about a lot of like media stuff like, and, and politics. It's like, fear not this menace we have created. Yeah. That's true. You know, it's, it's there, so true. but if you're telling me it's worse than it is and you're the only answer, then you're full of crap and I don't want to hear you anymore. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so... I feel like this is an, uh, uh, now the a good segue into this new wonderful project that Greg uh, Miguel or Red Pill Junkie uh, and you you can kind of list list off some of the other contributors, but the UFO Tarot deck uh, probably like two was it like a two years ago you guys kind of put out the Kickstarter for this? You um, like, talk about it, yeah? Yeah, um, a year ago Halloween, Halloween two thousand twenty one. Okay. Okay. And, and so, what's the, what's the inspiration? Sorry, like Halloween, yeah, two th- no, Halloween 2022 was last year. It was a one what? month Kickstarter. That's it. God, I feel, I oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. It was it was 2021 because had a, we had a, obviously we had a year to work on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. that that makes it was sense. 2021. We did the Kickstarter. So, how? Because it, it's like I, I don't, this has never been done before like, in this way. Oh, look at that. He's showing me the book right now, and it is a very sexy book. I'm very excited to get my hands on this. I like the back cover. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's nothing. It's, it, it looks like, well, you know what? You could you could probably scry in that thing. I know. Yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> this is a test with a glossy cover. We don't, I don't know where it is. We don't like the glossy cover. We went with the matte cover. We thought it looked more. What he is showing me is uh, it's it's kind of a coffee table book size, and it is this yeah. beautiful book companion so, book that goes this is the one we went with oh that's great that's great that, i mean that, this looks a lot classier to me than this greg i'm gonna be scrying my little heart out on that thing i never really that's thought amazing. of it but yeah that's a good idea for the back cover yeah exactly go ahead and scry your heart out folks yeah <laughs> so so how, like, how did you guys like or you know were you or you guys come up with this idea to do this project uh we were doing something. Uh, we produced a set of cards called the Disruptor Set. Uh huh. You gave me those too. You're so nice. I have. I have them. I have them somewhere. Yeah. And on these cards were basically phrases for UFO and par- paranormal researchers, and they were basically just to get your brain out of. I can't see what it says. Can you read it? He's holding up one of the inspiration cards. Force yourself to see something that is not there. Ooh, I like that. Assume a totally different point of view for a day. Yep. Just stuff like that, just to get you thinking. Imagine that you will never tell anybody. (laughs) Ooh, yeah, these are great. So, yeah, 
And then what? You know what this is? No. It is a it is a completely uh, unconscious squiggle off a off the cover of um, an edition of the Naked Lunch. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it looks like a fidget to me. Or you, yeah, you can use it as a fidget. <laughs> you know? It does. One of the cards is blank. Anyway, so what we, this was basically, you know, just something that was based on the the um, idea that you could that you you should every once in a while just like um, think out of the box. Like mm-hmm. our, our idea was like if you're a researcher or you're just interested in this and you're stuck about what to think or do or whatever, that you could pull out these cards and just like randomize. I mean, it's it's like tarot or or I Ching or anything. It's a way to randomize your your, your, your questions. And it's based on these. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is the oblique strategies. The oblique strategies. And that, and who did those? Brian Eno, the musician and. Oh, wow. That's amazing. (laughs) Peter Schmidt, who's an artist. And what it is, is, um, yeah, it's a, um, it's, here's the card. Oblique strategies over 100 worthwhile dilemmas. Interesting. Amazing. And this is a stack of 100 cards. Here's one of my favorite ones. I have it on the bottom. Honor thy intention. Uh, honor thy mistake as thy intention. Ooh, yeah. That's these good. are great. These are like, we took total inspiration for this, and we had this group called the, um, the Right Brain Project. I called it that. Uh-huh. Because I started it. You, you, can you mention who was involved in that? I can't remember everybody that was involved in that. Right. right. Um, some of the same people. Um, uh, Miguel was in it. Uh, Susan was in it. Uh, Robert Brandstetter, who used to be on uh, the... Um, um, I met him on the Paracast forums. Mm-hmm. Um, Miles Lewis was in it. And... Yeah, I'm so, I'm 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 embarrassed now because I think no worries, and I don't think David Metcalf was in it yet because I don't think I knew him yet. But um, so I we we started a new project. Uh, the, yeah, the new project was called the Right Brain Project, and we were trying to apply right brain thinking to UFO, UFOs research. And the first thing we wanted to do was like create a language that was different from the one that people use, like you know, and then. We weren't getting anywhere with that, and I just thought it sounded too much like, you know, where uh, you you and I have this feeling, like t- trying to get people to speak in a certain way, or to, to, it's like, I don't want to dictate how people should talk. Right, right. There were going to be suggestions about, you know, word, words that could be used to describe something better. So we were coming up with little phrases to, about abduction and the... the things that happen during abduction, but it's still using language to direct people's attention yeah. to certain things. And so we were kind of at, you know, kind of stuck on that and the, the meetings were getting kind of um, bogged down. And during one of the meetings, we were kind of saying, well, maybe we should do something else. And I said, well, I did this. I have this idea to do tarot cards based on UFOs at one point. And everybody went, huh, what? Yeah. <laughs> And I said, yeah, I, I actually made a list, a partial list of who should be on the cards. And the magician was Jacques Vallée and the emperor was, you know, yeah. and Heineck. And, you know, um, I can't remember. I think I had like 12 or 15 of them kind of listed. 
and Heineken and 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 uh, and and, and uh, Valet stayed on the cards in the, as the Fool and the Emperor. I'm mean, sorry, the Magician and the Emperor. Um, you know, Valet is the Magician, obviously, and mm-hmm. Heineken is the Emperor. But um, I, I hadn't thought beyond like ten or twelve of the cards, so we all said, "Well, let's try that." So we just started having meetings, and we had one every week by Skype or Zoom or whatever Skype, I think. And we would just sit there and, and we I would go through the list and we'd say, okay, next one's going to be this one. And after a while, you know, and Miguel um, did a test um, and did a, a picture of, uh, did Valet first. Mm-hmm. And it took him about three or four months to come up with something because he had to invent an entirely new style that isn't his style. He right. invented a style for the cards that it's just for the cards. Yeah. And wait until you see this artwork, folks. You can see some of it online. It is really something else yeah and so detailed like you could you you could stare at the card for 20 minutes without taking your eyes off it and oh yeah i'm looking he's showing me the valet one right now and it's absolutely breathtakingly beautiful i mean miguel is such an amazing artist and yeah i mean but like you know like uh the the detail and like the little easter eggs and there's the heineck one he's showing me right now it's phenomenal well, I'm so excited for everyone to see. Yeah, these. he's got a Socorro saucer. I mean, an egg in his left hand instead, because the the emperor has this little orb with the cross on it, like like a, like a, like an emperor would have. Um, so we said, well, so, what kind of orb should which should Heineck have? It's like, well, the Socorro saucer. Oh, it's so egg. great! Look, oh, it's so good. And he's sitting it's in so a good. swamp with swamp gas. Perfect. His Perfect. eye has a blue book logo on it, or a. And he's got a Rosicrucian symbol on his lapel because he was a Rosicrucian. And that is so beautiful. Yeah, there's a comet because he was born the year that Halley's Comet uh, came in 19 what if 10 or whatever, and he was he died the year that it came back. There's just so much detail you really have to scour every inch of these things to like fully get the Stanton Friedman. Oh yeah, amazing. As I so is your is your kind of is your guys like all your hope kind of that people will actually use this for inspiration when researching. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things, things you could do with it. Yeah. You know, and you know, it's, Oh, there's Keel. Ah, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But it's, you know, it's, it's many things. It's an art project. It is a tarot set, obviously that you can do divination with. That's my favorite one. The hanged man. Oh, that's really great. It's James McDonald. Uh, tragic ending for that 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 legend. Yeah, there's a there's a gun on the ground here because he shot himself in a copy of the Condon report. Oh my gosh, it's so cool! And he's on a cactus because he was from he he ended up in Tucson. That's where he was for most of his life or most of his adult life. There's a vulture, oh. like representing all the people that wanted him wanted him to go down, like like cult class and other people. Oh, I'm so excited for people to see this. It, and it, since he was an atmospheric physicist, um, my idea which actually made it to the final pr- product was to put a weather, like a weather map behind him for the sky. Oh, yes. And around his head is a symbol for a category five hurricane. <laughs> I didn't know that's great. Instead of, a, instead of a halo, he's got this like, this like spiky hurricane thing, which works perfectly. And then Miguel, uh, Miguel added the fire tornado in the back because he was interested in fire, fire tornadoes, which he called firestorms, which is what Andruffles Yep. Um, biography of of um, of uh, uh, McDonald is called, and finally, I mean, and then there's a there's a um, there's a Heflin saucer up there because he was very Ooh. 
flying up there. And then in the background is actually, if you go to the place where they found his body in Tucson and you look at the mountains, that's those exact mountains at that spot. That is so crazy. It's just, yeah, I mean, like these, you know, cards are so damn layered, like they should be, a tarot card should be, you know. Yeah. like so it's like an art project. It's a tarot set that you could do divination with. It's an extremely extremely opinionated um, history of ufology. Yeah, well, that, how, mean, how, do you, how do you separate opinion now? Yeah, we, 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 you know, these are people we think are important, and this is why. That's what the book explains. There's a little booklet that comes with it, explains each card and, you know, why they are who they are on there. And one quick question I have about this. So if people missed out on the Kickstarter and, um, you know, getting in, you know, on the ground floor of this, is there going to be an opportunity for people to get these later? Because I know, Greg, I know once these come out and I'm showing it off on social media and just showing it to my friends and other people, they're going to be like, where'd you get those? And how do I, <laughs> how much do you want to sell it for? And I would, would never sell it. But yeah, are they, will more be available? Like once Yeah, they're... we printed like 200 extra. Okay. And um, just because I knew we'd have people that wanted them and people that missed it when the first thing, you know, when it first happened. Right. Whatever. Um, and so we're going to try and figure out what the prices for those should be. And then I mean, let's just do a, like a fake. And for each of the cards, each deck, we're going to sign, we're going to number them like that. Oh, that's so awesome. I don't know if you can see it, but I can't see it. Yeah, well, it we're just going to use like gold or silver ink. And then Miguel and I are just going to sit here and do one through 500, just number them. Like your Ozzy Osbourne at Tower Records back in 1995. <laughs> <laughs> Diana actually, Diana Pasolka actually said something funny. And I kind of like, she was totally right. She goes, you guys are like a rock band. I was like, yeah, we all kind of got together and, you know, put out this album, which is the, you know, and each song, you know, we've got 20, uh, 20, 21 songs. And these are the yep. songs. It, she's not wrong. I mean, I remember when I first met you, I remember like, trying to pay you a compliment, and I'm not sure if you took, the, took it this way, but I was like, because I, I, I grew up kind right, of in 22 punk. songs. Go ahead. I, I grew up, like, in punk culture, and, you know, like, I think that's why I was attracted to the zine scene, because it reminded me of the zines I got. Yeah. You know, for punk music back in the 90s and whatnot. But, you know, I, I remember telling you, like, you're, you're like, you and, like, uh, you're the, kind of the group of researchers you kind of pal around with, you guys are, like, the punk rockers of UFOs. You know, <laughs> like... Um, which probably is a dated reference now, but at the time I thought it, you know, I thought it was a pretty cool no, thing it's, to say. It's nice, thank you. Yeah, yeah. The other thing is about this is that it is a it is a group of images based on a history that we think is important and that people should think about and remember because a lot of people think that came on the scene in the last few years thinks UFO started in 2011 or what. I know, and they didn't. Um, no. And there's all this history before it, and it, it's, um, you know, if you don't know that history, you're going to just say, oh, my God, did you realize this? It's like, yeah. yeah. You know, no, that, Oral yeah. Lorman said that in 1966. And not only that, it's also harmful, because if you're going to really, I, I see a lot of people, like, you know. Oh, wonderful. That's so pretty. I see a lot of people kind of, you know, out there on the Internet who are falling for listening to the people that we all know are charlatans or, you know, bolstering cases that we know are been hoaxed at this point. So it's like, if you don't know the history of this stuff, 
it yeah, becomes really research. hard to research it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think I heard somebody give a quote, um, and I'm going to butcher the quote. I'm just going to try to paraphrase the best I can. But it was a Jeffrey Kripal quote, and Jeffrey Kripal was like, UFOs are one of the only subjects where for the first few years you read UFO books, and then on year three you're reading about Arabian mystics from 2,000 years ago. Yeah. You know, I think and that, now, and now that hit yeah. me so hard. I'm like, if you're doing it right, yeah, I think that's how, how yeah. the evolution. Start wondering is. how did this, how did where did this come from, and how does this relevant to us? And going back to that Jung thing, and the, the final thing about the cards is that they're they exist as an aid to people that want to find out what their connection to the phenomenon might be. Yes, like usually you'll have to read about fifty books or whatever. If you can look at these images, images will speak to you on a level that. Words will not. And so 100%. like like you're thinking about something like, you know, um, 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 like your question would be, what do I think about Bob Lazar? And so you just go through here. Wait, what about Bob Lazar? So you pick something. Temperate. I, I can't see who that is. It's hard, it's hard to see. Yeah, Rosemary right Ellen Guiley. Oh, I love Rosemary. So That's if great. you pick that card, you're wondering, well, if I'm thinking about Bob Lazar, you know, why do I pick temperance? Well, it's because I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't be putting things in categories and I should be a little less dogmatic about what I'm thinking of. And, you know, is Bob Lazar really that important? And, you know, there's, there's gin going up into a U glowing UFO and then her foot, there's a lake monster coming out and grabbing her foot. And there's a big foot. There's the classic, you know, Gim Patterson, Gimlin, Bigfoot running into the forest back there. I mean, it's it, incredible. You know, it's, it, it's, if you choose to, it'll make you think in a different way about whatever your question is, or maybe give you an answer to something, or give you another question. Who knows? Yeah, there, I mean, I'm excited to use, use it for a multitude of reasons. Like, it, it, one thing, it's, it's, it's actually, I bought a book about tarot because I'm trying to, like, you know, cram study uh, tarot before the deck comes. So I know when the deck comes, I'm going to want to use it. Yeah, for my own research and even, just in my own life. So yeah, even in the book, um, Susan actually gave us a really nice history of the tarot. She actually wrote. Oh wow, that's great! So she gives you kind of a history of what it is, where it came from, what people have used it for. We've got nice pictures of actually that's somebody actually doing a reading with the cards. Oh, cool! It was the first that's time anybody great. did an actual reading with the cards. It was only a partial set, but the person just said said, would you like me to do a reading with him? I said, yes, yes, please. <laughs> Perfect. So, oh, my God. And, you know, and then there, there's actually a couple pages of kind of an introduction and what, you know, you can start doing some spreads yourself and what they might mean. That's so great. That's that's really nice that you had that in there. It was a very thoughtful thing to put in there. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, everyone. Th these cards are going to make a big splash, at least in the community that I roll around in, uh, we're all so excited. I mean, I am so pumped for these things. One, like you said, it's just I love art. And so this is a beautiful piece of art to have. But I'm really excited about the, uh, applying it yeah. to my and life and how I look at the subject. Yeah. And it was a true collaboration. I mean, I had this idea. There's no way I could have carried this off myself at all. I can't. I'm not an artist. I'm not even good at Photoshop. Yeah. And, you know, and, and this is not an AI project. Miguel is an artist that actually you know, thought about and did these things. And we would meet every week and discuss the cards from anywhere to from four to 10 hours, each card, who's going to be on it. What are going to be the symbols on it? If the person is alive, can we talk to their relatives and find out what right. their personality was like? Like, um, 
we asked uh, Elton Turner, Car Turner, Carla Turner's husband, what was your favorite flower? And he said an iris. So we looked up the symbolism of the iris and he put one in there just because Elton told us about his, her husband told us about that part of her personality. That's incredible. You know? that is, it's also just sweet. It's, it, I think it's, it's also like a very nice tribute to these people. You know, whether you like agree with all the research, that's not important. Like these are, no. these are luminaries in the field who really like left us with a lot to think about. And mm -hmm. what better way to give them a tribute than to put them on tarot card that people will use and be inspired by. Like yeah. it's really, and really quite Miguel, a beautiful thing. Yeah. Miguel took all our suggestions and all our discussions. And he, while he never, he didn't always come up with what I thought we were talking about. He always came up with something that was, you know, his muse told him what yeah. to do. And yeah. most of the time I wouldn't argue or we wouldn't argue with it. Yeah. Because well, most of the time the decision was like, oh, God, I never really thought about it that way. But holy, holy crap, that's actually a really good point. You know, so it was truly like it just developed. And, the you know, the images would talk to us and the people would talk to us and Miguel would talk to the images by himself as an artist. And it just it just like was this bubbling cauldron. And the, this is this is what was left after the bubble stopped. Yeah, well, it's, it's it's a true, beautiful, beautifully, like, alchemical collaborative thing, you know, like, I, I like auteurs, you know, but I, I'm probably, I feel like art is most of the time best done as a collaborative process. Yeah, well, I for mean, me, we love David Mitch and he's an auteur, but he has people he works with all the time. To help he needs to, of course. You know, and There's I'm not, I'm not a David thing. Lynch, but, you know, it's kind of my idea, but, you know, Everybody, Susan, Josh Cutchin, and and uh, um, and David Metcalf, and I, and Miguel, we all discussed the cards to right. have them be what they were going to be. And then sometimes, if the person's relative or the person was alive, we'd ask them too. We had talked to Whitley about it. We talked to Jacques a little bit about it. Yeah, um, Jenny Randall's was really helpful and humble about what you know. What, yeah. what she wanted. She didn't even care about what was on the card. We just asked her, what's your favorite flower? You know what? Yeah. We know she's like a cat lady now. So M M Miguel put a little cat pin on her, on her, uh, on her blouse. So it's just like <laughs> stuff Great. like that. I mean, it has nothing to do with her research, but it's part of her personality. Exactly. Which is probably part of how she conducted research. You yeah. know? So, oh my gosh, Greg, this has been so much fun. I could talk to you for 50,000 hours. Um, one more question that is probably the most important question I'm going to ask you is what are you excited about eating this weekend? Are you going to make something? Cause I know you and I talk about food a lot. I'm always looking for inspiration from you. I don't know about this weekend. Ooh, we got to pick a place to eat. I'm going out with somebody now new and it's just, we've, we've been eating out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I will tell you what I made this morning. That was delicious. Ooh, please do. Please do. I made, Blue corn mush, like grits, oh, yeah. blue corn grits with, with like, um, liquid, like, like, uh, uh, pork, like what the kefir, the yogurt, uh huh, sure, um, butter and, um, maple syrup. Oh, what? Um, two eggs with New Mexico chili sauce on them. Oh boy. And, Here we go. and three, um, three Farmer John sausages with, um, with, uh, with lemon juice squeezed on them. Well, see, folks, this is why you have a friend like Greg Bishop, because and not only does he, oh, this guy, he, not only does he inspire you in your high strength research, but he is also a culinary genius. Because every time I talk to you, you usually, I'll go to the grocery store and usually like 
just copy what you made the last time we talked. <laughs> I had to order yeah. popcorn grits online because I couldn't find them anywhere in LA. Strangely enough, I just have that a is weird. Yeah, blue corn grits and and um, oh, and the thing I put they, they a lot of the recipes say to put culinary ash in it, which you can't really find anywhere. What I've never heard of that. I know it's like so it's a smoky flavor. So I put applewood smoked salt in it. It works great. <laughs> For a second, I thought you were going to say, well, I put a little bit of my great-granddad in there, you know, like, <laughs> dipped into the urn, you know, sorry, Pops. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's not that je ne sais quoi that I don't know. It makes it perfect. I can't even taste it, but it does something to me. It does something. Oh, man. <laughs> Buddy, thank you so much for giving me your time and talking to me. Uh, this has been so fun. Please come back. In fact, I'd love to have you and Miguel on uh, to talk about the tarot deck when it you know, comes out. That'd because, be great. I think we, yeah. I, I know he'd love it. I certainly I, do. I would, I would, that would be a, a he, very. Give me your perspective, his perspective about it, which is slightly different than mine. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, I, well, maybe <laughs> we could not be a deck without him. It just wouldn't have happened. So. Well, yeah, he's, he's such a great dude and a great thinker too. And I look forward to having him on my show as well. But uh, Greg Bishop, thank you so much. Is there anything you want to pro promote? Like, where can we find your work? You know, blah, 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 stuff like that. I don't know. I mean, just go on Amazon and look for my name, UFO. And then uh, the, the it's radiomysterioso.com. R-A-D-I-O-M-I-S-T-E-R-I-O-S-O.com. Yeah, and I don't say this lightly, but if you are interested, you know, even remotely interested in the topics we've discussed, Radio Mysterioso is a must listen. You will become an absolute junkie. And if you want to talk to somebody about the episodes, you can call me because I've heard them all probably. <laughs> <laughs> about the one we did. Oh, really nice. Finally. Ooh, yeah. Fun, 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 fun. Um, it, great fun. Thing. it was fun. It was oh, fun. Um, thank you. Dude, thank you so much, man. I will talk to you very soon. Uh, stay in the line for one second, if you wouldn't mind. And folks, Thank you so much for tuning into Hi Strangeness. Have a great weekend. Peace. <laughs>